Well, here we are at the beginning of yet another new year of 2012. New year, new you. All the papers will be saying, isn't it, in the magazines. In fact, I went to Morrison's yesterday just to check out, and yes, I did find it. Um, it's always quite exciting at the beginning of a new year to think about what that year holds for us. And most of us do see the start of a new year as an opportunity to start something afresh. And of course, all these newspapers and magazines, you just need to go along to Morrison's to see, um, are full of suggestions as to how we might go about that. So often we see this headline, New Year, New You. New You, of course, implies that there's something wrong with the old you, that you need to change in some way. And this morning, I just want to look at that. The media will go to great lengths over the next few weeks and months in pointing out how you need to change. They'll soon tell you all that's wrong with you and recommend the action that you should be taking to improve yourselves, which seems to involve a great deal of money, time, effort, and in my opinion, pain, um, to achieve the desired results of perfection to which we must all aspire. Of course, they mainly focus on the physical, body shape and signs of ageing and that's something of course that we must not do under any circumstances is get older. <laughs> the need to diet to size zero seems to me to be the ultimate goal that is um, put forward in, in these places. I always get an image of matchstick men when somebody says size zero. I have no idea what it actually means but it, I, I see all these people just as, as little lines drawn because what else could size zero be? There's such an obsession, isn't there, with admiration of today's um, celebrity culture and being thin. So, anybody here booked in for a hair transplant? Um, or maybe to have their bottom enhanced? I believe it's all the rage in South America. <laughs> what about a face peel or some liposuction? In fact, I learned yesterday you could get liposuction done now without any painkillers. Oh. And while you're still awake. How do they do that? I don't know. But I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> Surely you're going to have some fat extracted from some part of your body and injected into another. For some reason, it's usually out of the thighs and into the face. <laughs> Again, beats me why. And of course, your nails have to be false and your hair, like your house, needs to be extended. So I hope you're all on, or in line for this. And no doubt millions of people will, in fact, be reading these articles and they'll vow to go to the gym and they'll join and they'll, lose, they'll, they'll vow to lose weight and they'll have the operation and they'll do all sorts of things to their bodies, and plastic surgeons and gym owners will make a fortune in 2012, as they do at the beginning of every other year. But what about us? What about Christians? Are we any better? Would you like to be a new you? Or are you quite content with the old model? To my mind, Christians have a different way of evaluating ourselves. Oh yes, we're still critical of the outer body, but also, we add to that the criticism of the inner being. Christians often judge themselves in terms of their behaviour. And they're at great pains to point out how bad they are. They see themselves as sinners. And that probably makes them unlovable as they are. And no matter how they try, never going to be quite good enough. Again, they judge themselves against a standard of perfection. 
In this case, the standard of what's, doing what's right. If they're good, they do what's right. If they're bad, they do what's wrong. And vice versa. And being sinners, they try to be good, but they fall by the wayside and end up being bad again. And then they become more unhappy as they realize that they can never see, meet that perfection that they think God expects of them. Oh dear, as a Scot, I'm in danger of bursting into song. Um, anybody who knows the name of Andy Stewart will know a good new year to yin and ah. And tears, of course, are obligatory at this point. But isn't that what we're like? We do nothing but criticise who we are and what we are. And that's physically and as far as, you know, who we are. Who we are. We're never quite good enough. Rabbi Burns was sitting, oh, it is the Scots led service this morning. Rabbi Burns was sitting in church one Sunday morning and he was watching a louse crawl over the hat of the lady in front, very poshly looking lady. And he wrote a poem called To a Louse. And he says in it, which you probably won't understand, Oh, what's some power the gift he gave us to see ourselves as others see us? It would free money a blunder free us and foolish notion. Well, maybe we need to have a good look at ourselves. And God has given us, that power of God has given us the gift of conscious awareness, if you like, to see who we are. And we certainly need to be freed from some of the foolish notions that we have about ourselves. So let's take a good look at you this morning. This could get personal. Maybe we'll start at the beginning with how God sees us. Ian's just read to us. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. That's amazing, isn't it? You're created in the image of God. And what did God conclude when he had finished? Verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So this amazing, powerful, wonderful God that we worship here this morning judged his creation to be very good. Who are we to argue? You are an integral part of that creation, as we shall see. Perhaps first we need to recognize and appreciate a little bit about what it means to be created by God and in his image. I wonder if you've ever really stopped to think about this gift that God has given you in the body that you have, that the magazines and newspapers are so keen for you to interfere with and change. Did you know that you will be a new year this year? Do you know that once a month you get a new skin? And this skeleton that seems so permanent and so hard in us, every three months is replaced. And even the brain cells that you think with didn't exist a year ago and won't exist a year from now. You get a new stomach lining every five days and your taste buds, I believe, change every six weeks. This human body that we have is not just a lump of inert matter. 
It's been described as a river of intelligence, energy, and information. And dynamic changes are taking place in you every moment of your existence. You are changing your body, or your body is changing more often than you change your clothes, more spontaneously than you change your clothes. And even the body that you're sitting with here right now isn't the same one as you came in here with. That's how fast things happen. In the act of breathing, we breathe out a phenomenal amount of matter, 10 to the power of 22 atoms. We breathe out and 20. 10 to the power of 22, a phenomenal number. Um, Steve will be able to tell you more about what that means. Uh, it means a lot. Right, thank you. Right, uh, <laughs> we breathe in from the universe. And these atoms are from our bodies, our cells, our, our bones, our kidneys, our liver, our heart. And when we breathe in, they make our new brains and our new feet and our new hands and all the rest. Your body is literally creating a new you right now. And radioactive isotope studies have in fact shown that um, the cells, the atoms in your being, have passed through every other living being on the planet at some point. Millions of them. Within weeks, millions of new atoms are passing through your body constantly. So on the 1st of January 2013, one year from now, about 98% of your body will no longer be. What's happened to the body that you had last year? Well, it's gone, hasn't it? It's dead. It's recycled air and water and earth. It's been replaced. You are most certainly an integral part of the whole of God's creation. And maybe we don't need any further proof that you're constantly outliving the physical death of your molecules. Many people use Genesis 1 to say that science and religion cannot possibly agree. But I see science and religion in perfect harmony here. Excuse me. The shelf life of your molecules is short. But there's a part of you that has no shelf life because it's in the timeless. It's in the continuum of immortality. You are indeed made in the image of God. And right now, this amazing body that you have is also carrying out all of these functions that we know little or nothing about. Digestion and hearing and seeing and fighting disease and producing hormones and maintaining temperature and all the other things that it's doing right now. Breathing. That's beyond your comprehension and mine. I know there are some people here who will understand a lot more about that certainly than I do. But it is spectacular. It is amazing. It is phenomenal that our bodies are doing that. They're quite beautiful, these bodies that we have. Have you failed to notice that before? How come we take our bodies for granted and fail to appreciate what a wonderful gift God has given us? Why would we even consider interfering with this fantastic creation, as the media are suggesting? Perhaps in 2012, we need to be like the psalmist, to be more appreciative 
of what has given us. In Psalm 139, you'll find these words in verses 13 and 14. And maybe in 2012, we need to get up in the morning and say to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. What a difference that might make to our lives. Let us delight in the gift of our human bodies and praise God for them. In our second reading today, Paul has some advice for us as Christians regarding changing to a new life in Christ. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we heard, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, don't copy the behavior of this world, but let God transform you. Be transformed, not transform yourself, be transformed into a new person by the way you think. Then you will know God's will and do God's will, which is pleasing and perfect to him. Paul's call to action is a call to worship here. Paul's worship, based upon the mind of God and the mercy of God, began in the previous chapter, in chapter 11 of Romans, and it's recorded there. Paul calls the Christian to a commitment and to action in chapter 12. To understand, we must see the service that Paul is urging us to is the service of worship. If we fail to appreciate what God has given us, we might just fail to worship him for that. This worship that Paul calls us to is a rational worship. This is entirely consistent with the context in which the Christian's mind has been a prominent subject of discussion in Romans. The puffed-up mind of the Gentile believer was to be humbled by the grace of God and the infinitely wise mind of God, which we can read in chapter 11 of Romans. The Christian's transformation that we read about this morning in verse 2 is the result of the renewing of your mind. Thinking is the primary activity. In fact, all of chapter 12 has to do with the new mindset of the Christian as a result of the grace of God. As Christian doctrine was taught in chapters 1 to 11, it was addressed to the mind. And now Paul is calling us to exercise that mind, to conclude that the worship of sacrificial service 
is the only proper response. Serving God, in other words, is a logical thing to do. Disobeying God is illogical and irrational, but then so is sin. Never is the Christian called upon to set aside his mind. Rather, he is to employ his mind based upon the truth that God has revealed to him. So as we've appreciated the body, let's now just begin to appreciate this mind that has been given to you. A mind that can think. Descartes thought that was amazing. A mind that can comprehend, communicate, understand, imagine. Wow, imagine. Resolve, contemplate, memorize, recall. Create and formulate ideas. We could go on. A mind that is unlimited in its capacity to do all these things as far as we know. That's phenomenal. Your mind is phenomenal. That's God's gift to you. Now this isn't, as the children's bit, isn't about thinking too highly of yourself. In fact, Paul warns us against that, that in the very next verse, in verse 3. Paul says, for the... For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. This isn't about thinking highly of yourself. It's about understanding the complexity and the wonder of humanity and of God's creation in general. Today, I want you to recognize the magnificence of the body and mind that God has given you for the purpose of serving and worshiping him. It is crucial, as we shall see, that we recognize the power of our mind and use it wisely. Paul recognized that. In fact, in Philippians, when he was writing to the Philippians, he advised what we must think about. In Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Modern science, again, supports this teaching. And in fact, modern science would say that we don't have a mind and a body, it's all one. They are inseparably linked in every aspect of our physiology. There's a wonderful woman called Candace Pert who wrote a book called Molecules of Emotion, Why You Feel the Way You Feel. Now, Candace Pert, let me just get this right, was chief of the section on brain biochemistry at the National Institute of Mental Health. Now, about 20 years ago, she proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that every time you have a thought, it becomes a molecule. That thinking is not only practicing brain chemistry, but also practicing body chemistry. That's amazing. And these thoughts, which you're constantly having, are translating into precise messenger molecules, which she initially called neuropeptides. It seems that all of our cells in our bodies have receptors, and these um, chemical neuropeptides have little keys that fit into these receptors. And so these molecules of emotion 
attach themselves to all the cells in our bodies. So if we take one example of this, let's just look for a moment at the cells of our immune system. We all have an immune system and it protects us from illness, it protects us from disease, it protects us from infection, from cancer, from degenerative disorders. Immune cells, of course, have these receptors and the neuropeptides, the molecules of emotion, can attach themselves to your immune system. Your immune system responds according to the thoughts that you have. Any thought you have, any feeling, any emotion, your immune system is also experiencing that emotion. So all our cells are thinking cells. They're listening in to the internal dialogue that's going on in your mind. So if, you have, if you're feeling jittery, your immune cells will also be feeling jittery. And when they're jittery, what they're likely to do is produce adrenaline. However, if you're feeling joyful and exhilarated, they'll produce a different chemical. They'll produce interferons and interleukins, which are powerful anti-cancer drugs. So your body is responding to your emotions, to your thoughts, to your feelings. Conceivably, you could go to Blackpool and go on a joyride and produce thousands of pounds worth of anti-cancer drugs. If that's your idea of fun, it's not the experience you have, it's how you respond or think about that experience. So two people going on a joyride, one will experience fear and produce fear molecules, the other will experience exhilaration and joy and, and produce um, anti-cancer drugs. So we are products of what we think. Your mind is important. But the influence of your mind doesn't stop with you. And that's very important. Scientific experiments also show that the mind extends outside the body. I'm sure most of you have heard of pheromones, communicator molecules, which extend beyond us. Now, all life does that. Plants do that. Um, termites do, and ants do that. If you've seen ants in a colony, they, they're all um, controlled by, and, and bees too, controlled by the hormones of the queen bee. Um, if you go into a room and you feel the tension in a room, that's a fact of physiology. You're picking up the pheromones, the hormones that somebody else is giving out. If you go to uh, an, old, an ancient church and you feel the peace and the love and the compassion, that's a fact of physiology. It's not just an imagined um, belief. It's a fact of physiology. You're picking up what's actually there. We pick up what others give out, and they pick up what we give out. Now, St. Paul obviously understood how important it is what you think about. And so did Mahatma Gandhi. He understood the importance of thoughts and beliefs and dogma and the way we influence the world around you. So he had said something which to me is absolutely amazing. He said, be the change you want to see in the world. New year, new you, be the change you want to see in the world. Instead of seeking love, be loving. Instead of seeking peace, 
be peaceful. Rather than seek joy today, be joyful. And that will be your gift to the world. God has given you a gift. Let us give our gift to the world. This new year, you are called to be a new you. Not to copy the behavior and customs of this world, but to let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. To focus on what is true, what is pure, what is honest, what is just, what is lovely, what is praiseworthy. So that your influence in the world will bring about change in others in line with God's perfect will. I want to finish with a little poem from um, Robert Holden from his book Happiness Now. Happy New Year, folks. Ask not for love today. Better still, pray that you may be the presence of love today. Ask not for rest today. Better still, pray that you may be the presence of rest today. Ask not for kindness today. Better still, pray that you may be the presence of kindness today. Ask not for victory today. Better still, pray that you may be the presence of victory today. Ask not for laughter today. Better still, pray that you may be the presence of laughter today. Ask not for peace today. Better still, pray that you may be the presence of peace today. I wish you all a very happy new year.